All right, well, good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to Citizens. My name is Jason. I serve on staff here at the church. Uh, so great to see you all here. Um, just want to, before I get into the word, just want to first say thank you uh, for bearing with us uh, this summer. Um, we did not, we really were trying, we thought we weren't going to grow anymore. Um, but it's been, a, it's been an issue, and we know that parking has been extremely difficult the past few weeks. Um, I think last week we had 100 more people than the previous Sunday. And so uh, our hospitality team uh, is working like overtime. Can we give our hospitality volunteers a big round of applause? Um, Uh, so please bear with us the next few weeks. Um, as you know, this was a summer thing to kind of combine to one service. Um, our staff has been talking about um, when we do go back to two services, uh, ways that perhaps we can uh, mitigate some of the parking issues. We're toying around with different service times and whatnot. And so um, please, I know change is hard for everyone, and we're trying to manage and steward um, the growth of our church well while also making sure our volunteers are well cared for and their bandwidth is protected as well. So just please bear with us on, on that front. But um, all that to say, it, it's, it's been such a blessing and so encouraging uh, to see you each week. If you're new or visiting the church for the first time, really want to welcome you. And again, just to echo what Esther said, um, if you would like to get more plugged into our community or you have any questions about the church at all, would love to get to know you uh, myself and some of our other staff members, as well as volunteers wearing the orange lanyards, we're usually hanging out around the info tent. So uh, please come say hello to us uh, after service, okay? Uh, well, with that, um, we are continuing our series in the book of Acts. If you were here last week, we looked at the first half of Acts chapter 10, and uh, we said that Acts chapter 10 could arguably be the most important chapter in the entire Bible. And we said that's because it details the moment Christianity officially catapults into the Gentile world, right? When um, God breaks what seemed to be an impenetrable barrier between two groups of people, Jews and Gentiles, for the first time when you have Peter, this Jewish man, who crosses this barrier to share the gospel with a Roman centurion, Cornelius. And we really believe this is like an inflection point uh, in the book of Acts, as well as in the story of Christianity. And it's very obvious that Luke, the author of Acts, understands the significance of this story. So not only is this the longest historical account that we have in the entire book, he actually repeats this story three times, twice in Acts 10 and once in Acts 11. So it's very clear that this story is near and dear to Luke's heart. Okay, so if you weren't with us last week, uh, we looked at the first half of Acts 10. And just to recap where we are, uh, we're introduced to this man, Roman centurion Cornelius. We said, solid guy, uh, great family, uh, great job, uh, lives a moral life, pretty much the best society has to offer. And this guy Cornelius gets this vision of an angel telling him to send a man to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon called Peter back to his house. That's all the info he gets. For some reason, he, he decides to listen, and he sends these men um, over to Joppa. Well, unbeknownst to Cornelius, around the same time, on the other side of town, Peter gets his own vision of this large sheet coming down from heaven, full of animals, both clean and unclean, with a voice that says, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Very strange vision. And as Peter is processing what this vision could possibly mean, 
he hears this knock at the door, and it's these, and it's Cornelius's men. And the spirit at that moment tells him, I've sent these men to you, so I want you to go with them. Okay, again, no other details provided, but like Cornelius, Peter obeys and he goes. And so you have these two men who have no idea what's happening, separately responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit, simply taking a step out in faith. Now, I've never been on a blind date before, but I imagine this is what going on a blind date would feel like, okay? They only know, have the one person in common, the Holy Spirit. They don't know anything about each other. Peter only knows that this man is a Roman centurion. Uh, Cornelius only knows Peter is a Jew. This guy is coming over to his house, and they have no idea what to expect, and that's pretty much uh, where we're going to pick up in the story, okay? So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 10, we're going to look at verses 23b to 48, Okay, Acts chapter 10, verses 23b to 48. Uh, if you like to follow along uh, in your, uh, mobile de- on your mobile device, I'm going to be reading from the NIV. Okay, Acts chapter 10, verses 23b to 48. This is the reading of God's word. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends, As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Three days ago I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. 
Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they may be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Amen. Let me say a prayer for us as we begin. Holy Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Would you open our eyes and our ears to receive what you would have for us today as we discover your word. We thank you. We entrust this time and our lives into your loving hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to start today with kind of an existential question. Uh, if someone were to ask you, what is the purpose of your life? How would you answer that question? If someone were to ask you, what are you on this earth to do? Because your answer to that question is really going to inform everything about your life. It's going to inform all the decisions that you make. It's going to inform who you decide to be in community with. It's going to inform the places you go. For the Christian, the Bible tells us that our one purpose in life is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Great Commission in Matthew 28. Jesus says, after all of this, I'm going to boil down your mission, your one purpose in life to this, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is not a directive only given to pastors and missionaries and church leaders. It's a directive given to all who follow Jesus. Now the question is, how do we do that? People ask me all the time, what does it mean if this is my singular purpose in life? What does it mean for me to go and make disciples of all nations? Like I'm a software engineer who works from home. I'm a stay-at-home parent who spends all my time changing diapers of a newborn. I barely have enough time to eat, and you're telling me my purpose in life is to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. It seems like Jesus has given us a task that none of us can fulfill. What does it look like for someone like me to live out the Great Commission and I think Acts 10 holds the answer. While you and I may not hear the audible voice of God on a daily basis, we may not get strange visions like the visions given to Cornelius and Peter, I would say that we have countless interactions just like the one we see in Acts 10 every single day. In our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, with our classmates, with our coworkers, with our friends, with our family, with our Uber driver, with the barista at the coffee shop. In the grand scheme of things, Peter has one conversation. One conversation. And it's this one conversation that sends ripple effects to the ends of the earth. It's this one conversation that opens the door for all Gentiles to hear the good news of the gospel. It's this one conversation that, that is ultimately the reason you and I are sitting in this room today. 
in one conversation, the world is flipped upside down. You know, some of you know this, but my wife, Carol, she is named after a woman named Carol Barkley, a woman she refers to as her American grandmother. And the story goes that when my mother-in-law came to the States, she came as a college student to attend Philadelphia University. Young college student, did not know the culture. There were obvious, clearly many barriers, and she's looking for housing, and she's walking in this neighborhood looking for housing, and she meets this couple, John and Carol Barkley. And basically, um, long story short, one thing leads to another. They essentially offer to house her in their home, and they pretty much adopt her as their own. As she's living with them, they invite her to come with, come with them to church for the very first time. Now, at this time, nobody in my mother-in-law's family was Christian. But she goes to church with them. Her life has changed. She basically evangelizes her entire family. She has kids, raises them in the church, and one of her daughters ends up marrying a pastor, me. <laughs> and now together, we are leading this congregation of hundreds of people in Los Angeles in 2023. One interaction one decision sending ripple effects to the ends of the earth. If you had asked them, I guarantee you, John and Carol Barkley could never have fathomed that that one conversation where they invited this young Korean girl to church would ultimately lead to this. When you become sensitive to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life, Ordinary conversations can become extraordinary opportunities to live out the Great Commission, which is exactly what happens in Acts 10. And as we look at our text today, we're pretty much going to see a blueprint for what living on mission looks like in ordinary life. If you're sitting here and you've ever wondered, as a Christian, how am I called to live on mission in the places I live, work, and play Acts 10 is going to give us the blueprint, and it's going to come down to three things, posture, proximity, and power. Okay, so if you're taking notes, those are the three points, posture, proximity, and power. First, posture. That's the first thing I think we notice when Peter walks into the house. Again, keep in mind, this is at a time when Jews believed that Gentiles were unclean, when Gentiles were beneath them. A Jew would never even step foot in a Gentile's house, let alone someone who was basically um, the someone who was basically leading the church. And so Peter walks into this house, and we read that ultimately, immediately upon entering the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Okay, and Cornelius isn't just any person. We know he's a powerful Roman centurion. He's a high-ranking government official who is literally on the ground worshiping Peter, most people in Peter's position would absolutely milk that moment, okay? There's a guy, high-powered guy, on the ground, worshiping you. You are going to milk that moment. I still remember when I became a pastor, the week after I was installed as the pastor of this church, I went to one of my childhood friend's uh, kid's first birthday party, okay? And I go there and, you know, the uh, cliche, they asked me to pray for the birthday party, okay? And I'm there, and um, 
we're standing in line for the food, and I hear a gasp. And it's, it's my friend's mom, who I've known since my friend was a child. And she's like, <gasps> she's like, how can you let the pastor stand in line for food? You know? And my friend is like, mom, that's, that's Jason. We, we've known him forever. She's like, no, this isn't right. Go sit down, you go get him food, right? So I go sit down, yeah, I, you know. <laughs> I milked it, you know, I, mil I milked the moment, okay? I was like, you know, can I get, you know, two, two extra, you know, bowls of rice? That'd be nice too. Water while you're at it, you know? Um, I milked that moment fully. Peter has that opportunity here. Enters Cornelius' house. He definitely has the upper hand in this situation. Cornelius has all of his relatives, friends, and family waiting for them, gathered to hear what Peter has to say. But notice what happens. He's on the ground worshiping Peter, and the first thing Peter says in verse 26, it says, Peter made him get up, and he says to him, I am only a man myself. Meaning, don't do that. We're the same. We both have the same need. You and I, we're not that different. The first thing we see in Peter is a posture of humility. A posture of humility. One of my favorite books is a book by a guy named Jim Collins, and it's called Good to Great. And, and the question Collins tackles in the book is, what takes a company from merely good to truly great? And in the book, Collins identifies what he calls a level five leader, okay, which basically refers to the highest level of leadership that a person can attain. And what he asserts is that this is the type of leadership you need at the helm of any organization if you want to take that organization from good to great. And in the book, you realize that even in his own journey, he experiences something extremely counterintuitive because he starts doing all this research and he realizes most people equate great leadership with people who are larger than life, people who have big personalities, people who ooze charisma, people who make headlines and become celebrities. But what the research shows is clear that the most important quality in a level five leader was none other than humility. Humility. Raise your hand in this room if you know who Darwin Smith is. I don't see one hand raised. Darwin's, Darwin Smith was at the helm of one of the most successful companies of all time, but you don't even know his name. Level five leader. His goal was never to make a name for himself, but he always put the needs of his organization, the vision and values of the people around him over his own. Humility. And this isn't even a Christian book, and yet it's very clear that even in the real world, Jesus' words ring true. That you must lose your life in order to save it. That the way up is down. Okay, so the first way we live on mission is by adopting a posture of humility. Peter says, get up, I'm only a man myself. Secondly, living on mission is about proximity. Proximity. One thing I want you to notice is that Peter is not just in any home. He's in Cornelius' home. He's in enemy territory. He's in Cornelius' world. 
He enters a space that's unfamiliar and uncomfortable. In fact, he tells the crowd that's gathered in the home in verse 28, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, meaning you know I'm not supposed to be here, right? You know there is everything stopping me from entering your home, right? You know I'm in a place where Jews would never be caught dead in, right? And yet I'm here because God told me to get close to you. God told me to come near to you. I'm here because God told me to move toward you, the very person I used to think was unclean. Now, Peter doesn't know exactly what he's supposed to do while he's there. In fact, he asks Cornelius, why have you sent for me? Meaning, is there something you need from me? Peter goes there, no agenda. He's asking him, is there something you need from me? I wonder what if that was our posture if when we entered every conversation, every interaction, every encounter, not what can you do for me, but what can I do for you? How can I serve you? Is there a reason you need me here? What if we simply move toward people without any agenda? What if we move toward people who offered no benefit to us, people who were different from us, people our peers dismissed as unclean in a time when we are so disconnected, when we are so isolated and individualistic as a people, in a time when it's so much easier to cancel people than it is to draw close to them? I believe proximity and connectedness can be the greatest witnesses we have to the gospel. You know what the single most important factor is in suicide prevention? And we know that suicide rates are at an all-time high. Mental health issues are at an all-time high. You know what the single most important factor is in suicide prevention confirmed by multiple studies out there? Connectedness. Having a close relationship with a friend, a family member, a mentor, coach, authority figure significantly decreases the likelihood that someone will take their own life people willing to come close. Proximity. Proximity saves lives. You know, I have a lot to say about cancel culture, right? And when you think about what cancel culture is, it's basically removing people in your life or distancing yourself from people who you don't like. Right? That's what cancel culture is, ultimately. Now, obviously, there are situations in life where we need to remove ourselves from toxic situations and toxic people, yes. But when our first instinct as a culture is to run from people, when our first instinct as a culture is to remove people, we only create more division and hostility, and we miss out on opportunities to be a part of someone's transformation and growth. Let me tell you, it is so much easier to cancel someone than it is to get close to them. So much easier. Peter has every reason to avoid going to Cornelius' house. Peter has every reason to cancel Cornelius. But because he chooses to get close, he now gets a front row seat to what God is up to, not only, Cornel not only in Cornelius' life, but in the world. I think my favorite verse in this entire passage is verse 33, when Cornelius says to Peter, it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. I like the ESV translation even better. It says, you have been kind enough to come. 
Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear that all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Because you chose to come, because you chose to show up for me, now all of us get to be in the presence of God to hear what you have to say. Because you chose to get close, now all of us get to taste the living Christ. Esther mentioned that our community group leaders just got back from a a CG leaders retreat planning for the next year. And I always say this, that I think the, the most ministry happens not on Sundays, but in smaller groups, right? When we're sitting with a small group of people sharing life together. And I'm so excited about community groups this year, and I can't tell you how many stories I've already heard of people who tell me what their community groups have meant to them simply because people chose to show up and get close, because people demonstrated proximity. And I pray that these are the testimonies we will hear at the end of the year. People saying, when I was grieving, you were kind enough to come. When I was lonely, you were kind enough to come. When everyone else in my life had dismissed me and had written me off, you were kind enough to come. And now, therefore, we're all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. I want you to notice the order of events as well, right? Peter gets close. He enters the house before he shares the gospel, right? Notice, you were kind enough to come, and now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear everything you have to say. The proximity precedes the proclamation. People these days have so much to say and yet are unwilling to get close. It's so much easier to criticize someone, to judge someone behind a computer screen, and it's so much harder to criticize and judge someone you're doing life with. Here in Acts 10, we see that Peter gets close first, and it's his proximity that opens the door for the proclamation of the gospel. Do not underestimate the power of one conversation, a text, a phone call, a meal, a coffee meetup. Do not underestimate the impact of proximity to a person's life, entering someone's world. So number one, living on mission is about posture. It's about adopting a posture of humility, a a posture that says, my life to serve yours. Number two, it's about proximity. It's about a willingness to get close to the people others have deemed unclean. It's a willingness to move toward the lost, toward the hurting, toward the broken, toward the people God has placed in our orbit. And finally, it's about power. Power. And it's not a power that comes from Peter himself but it's about a power that comes from outside of him. Beginning in verse 34, Peter gives one of the most articulate, clear presentations of the gospel found in Scripture. He gives a beautiful summary of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And yet Luke is so intentional about noting the fact that it is not Peter's words that elicit a response from the listeners, but the power of the Holy Spirit. In verse 44, it says, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And everyone was amazed, not at Peter's preaching ability, but it says they were amazed at the gift of the Holy Spirit that was poured out on the Gentiles. This should be so comforting to us because it reminds us that it's not up to us to change people. It's not up to us to transform someone's heart. 
All we can do is show up and go to the places God sends us and let the Spirit do the rest. All we can do is to humbly show up for people every day and wait for God to give us the opportunity to mediate his love. That's what Peter did. He listened, followed, and when the opportunity came, he opened his mouth and simply shared what God had done in his life. And the Spirit moved in ways he could not even fathom. This is the beauty of living life with God. If you and I would just be open to the Spirit's leading, I guarantee you God will take us to places and to people we would never expect so that their eyes might be open to the beauty of the gospel through us. So posture, proximity, power. The big question is, how do we get to the place where we trust God the way Peter trusted God? How do we get to that place where we can adopt a posture of humility, where we can learn to be proximate and move close to people, where we can access the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Because none of this happens if Peter doesn't respond to the Spirit's leading and go with those strange men who are knocking on his door. Okay, I mean, if you actually get into the story, it's a very strange story. It's like you got these strangers knocking on your door and say, we were sent to bring you back to Cornelius' house. And he's like, let's go. How do we get to that place where we're that sensitive to the Holy Spirit? And I believe the answer lies in Peter's own story. You see, everything Peter displays in Acts 10 is simply a response to what has already been done for him. When he's, re when he's proclaiming the gospel to all these people gathered here, one of the things he says that sticks out is he says, I ate and drank with him. I experienced this. Everything I'm doing for you right now, I got to witness this firsthand. Peter got to experience firsthand the humility of Christ when Jesus, who was God incarnate, got on his knees in front of him and began to wash his feet. And he began to wash the feet of the disciples who he soon knew would abandon him. Peter witnessed firsthand his humility in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus healed the ear of the soldier who had come to arrest him. In fact, it was the ear that Peter himself had cut off. But not only did Peter get to experience Jesus' posture of humility, he got to experience Jesus' proximity. This Jesus who lived life with him, who ate with him, who hung out with him, who put up with him, who took him along when he performed miracles, who continued to pursue him even after Peter denied knowing him. You ever have a friend where you have completely shunned them and yet they don't stop pursuing you? Peter experiences this with Jesus. He denies him three times. One of my favorite stories in the Gospels is when Jesus shows up to him on the shore of the beach. and He says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I do. And he says, then feed my sheep. And he asks him that question three times to mirror the three times Peter denied him. And it's Jesus saying, I'm going to continue to pursue you. And I'm going to continue to come close to you even when you run from me. Peter experienced this firsthand. And finally, Peter got a front row seat to Jesus' power. 
because he remembers Jesus being crucified, but he sees the resurrected Christ with his own eyes. And he realizes this is no ordinary man. This is God. And he sees a supernatural power that he's never seen before. He saw a man get up from the grave. So you see, Acts 10 isn't a story about how Peter is so great. Acts 10 is simply Peter's only logical response to a person who has experienced the gospel firsthand. You and I cannot leave this place and live on mission. We cannot take the gospel to the ends of the earth until you and I have received the gospel for ourselves. We cannot go out and serve anyone until we have first been served by Christ. We cannot take on a posture of humility unless we witness the humility of Christ. Jesus, who Philippians 2 says, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, a God who humbled himself to be obedient to death, even death on a cross. When we behold the humility of Christ, who lived a spotless life, who did nothing wrong, and yet was crucified like a criminal, how can we not then take on that same posture of humility in our interactions with others? It's just a response. You and I cannot move close to people. You and I cannot demonstrate proximity unless we remember a God who drew near to us, a God who was never distant, but one who put on skin and bones and came into our world. We read in John 1 that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, dwelt among us. God didn't just come near to us. He became one of us. And he took all of our shame and guilt upon his own shoulders and he carried our burdens as if they were his own. He had every reason not to associate with us. He had every reason to reject us. And yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He became close. He moved toward us. How can we not then move toward those in our lives who are lost and hurting when we follow a God who is always moving toward us? But not only did Jesus demonstrate a posture of humility, not only did he demonstrate proximity, but in Christ we now receive his power. Ephesians 1 says, Paul writes, that the same power that the Father used to raise Jesus from the dead is the same power at work in you and me. You see, anything we do in the places we live, work, and play is simply a response to what has already been done. To us. And so my prayer and hope for all of us in this room today is that we would again be captivated by the good news of the gospel. We would again receive the gospel for ourselves. We would again be entranced by the humility of Christ, by the way Jesus comes close and is with us, by his power shown to us that we too might live on mission, making disciples of all nations for the glory of God one conversation, one encounter at a time. Let's pray. As we respond to our word today, I want us to do two things. First, let's ask the Holy Spirit to bring to mind a person or a group of people in our lives that you feel the Spirit is moving you toward. Maybe like Peter, it's a person or a group of people you would never in your right mind move toward. 
a person or a group you might never associate with, but one whom God has called you to in order to mediate his love. And as you reflect on that person or on that group of people, I also want to give us a moment to reflect on what Christ has done to move toward us. That we would remember the sacrifice it took for Christ to be with us. That though there, is such a, there was such a chasm between who we are and who God is, through the cross, Jesus crossed that barrier to be with us. And may we pray that God plants that same heart of Christ as we think about this person or this group of individuals. Let's just take a moment to pray. Lord, we believe that you're at work in the world today. We believe you're at work in our city. And we believe you are transforming the world one conversation, one encounter at a time. That you are empowering and releasing us to go to the places we would never think to go, to go to people that we would never think to go to, people that we've deemed unclean, people who are lost, hurting, and broken. At the same time, God, I, I recognize that for many of us, the person that we see and we have deemed unclean is ourselves. And that first we need to be served by Christ. We need to be loved by Christ. We need to remember a God who washes our feet, a God who is with us, who left heaven to be with us and who gave his life as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God, help us to be captivated by the gospel once again, captivated by who you are and what you've done. And we pray that that would open our eyes to see people and the world as you see it. Help us, Lord, empower us with your spirit to live out the Great Commission in all the places we live, work, and play. We love you. We thank you for this word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you're able, I'm going to invite us to stand as we respond uh, to this word by singing two songs of praise. Let's worship God together.